is he knows us. Now think about this. Do you know God thinks about you and I? Isaiah the prophet tells us about the good thoughts God has toward us. Uh, the Bible tells us that he loves us and he daily loads us with his benefits, the psalmist tells us. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 that God talks to the Father for us. God talks to the Father on our behalf. In fact, God knows so much about us. In fact, he says in one verse that the very hairs of our head are numbered. Some are more difficult to keep up with than others. <laughs> but God knows a lot about us and we like that. We like the fact that God knows a lot about us and that he loves us. But how much do we know him? Or should I say, how much do we want to know him? Have you thought about him today? Have you expressed your love to him today? Have you talked to others about him as he has talked to us about us to his father? God wants to know us, wants us to know him as he knows us. Heavenly Father, help me as I preach tonight from this wonderful book of Hebrews. May the message be enough to cause us to want to know more and to read more from this wonderful book. Fill me with your spirit, I pray, and I hunger for in Jesus' name, amen. The book of Hebrews is a most important book to understand the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews tells us why he came. The book of Hebrews tells us what he did. The book of Hebrews tells us who he was. And because it is Christmas time, the time that we celebrate the birth of Christ and why he came, this is a great book to learn from. It may be a good thing over the next couple of weeks as we go through this week and into the new year on the next week, to read through the book of Hebrews. And I'll give you somewhat of an outline of the book that may help you to better understand the book as you would read it. The book of Hebrews is a book that deals with a time of transition. Now think about that. It deals with a time of transition. Imagine if you were in Jerusalem at the time of this book being given. The temple is still standing, but they don't use it on the Sabbath anymore. Is still there, the place where they offered the sacrifices. It's a place where uh, all of the work of the temple and the work of the priests were uh, going about their work as God had established in the Old Testament. In fact, there were some, not as many, but there were some, they were still at the temple and they were still going through those rituals that were to remind them of the coming Savior for they had not accepted the fact that Jesus was the Christ who had come and lived and died and rose again and ascended back to heaven. And so this book helps those people that are going through this transition time from rather going to the temple on the Sabbath day Saturday. They celebrate the fact that Jesus is God and he rose from the grave on Sunday and every week since then we've been recognizing the resurrected Lord. And so he helps them to understand 
the things that are better. In fact, they're not just better, they are best. And we'll learn about that from the book of Hebrews. Uh, the book not only helps us with the time of transition, it is a challenge for us today because many of the things that were taking place among, uh, in this day among these Christians goes on in our life and in our world today. There are those today who do not worship God as he instructed in the word of God. They really don't want to know him. They want to create their own God. In fact, if you go visiting and witness to as many people as I do, uh, you'll find uh, that many folks will say, well, I'm looking for a church that fits me. How many of you have heard that or some, from some form of that? I'm looking to, uh, for a church that I can fit into when the truth is we ought to be in a church that's preaching the word of God that's making me more like Christ, not satisfying me where I am. And so there are many today who do not worship God as he's instructed in the word of God and they, like Cain, have gone about to establish their own righteousness, their own religion, their own regulations for what a Christian is supposed to be. And so in the book of Hebrews, there are five things that help us to better know not only the Lord, but even to better know ourselves and to challenge exactly where our faith is. There are five words I'll give you for uh, the uh, outline tonight. First of all, the book of Hebrews is a book of evaluation. Evaluation means to put value on. We're going to evaluate something. That means we're going to look and see what the value is. So uh, the book of Hebrews is a book of evaluation. And there are three words uh, that are repeated in the book and through the book that, that cause us uh, to do those evaluations. First of all, uh, the word better. Uh, the word better is used 13 times in the book of Hebrews. And we have two things that are compared. And every time Christ is better than whatever the comparison is. In fact, he's not only better, he is best. And Christ is not compared to things that are lowly or of no value. Christ is compared to great things in the book of Hebrews. And we learn in the book of Hebrews, for example, chapter 1 and verse number 4, he's better than the angels. Now think about that. The angels are mighty powerful. And we could do a study on the angels and find out the power of just one angel uh, that at one time killed a multitude of the Assyrians uh, of the Assyrian army, one angel. But he's better than the angels. He brought a better hope, chapter 7, verse number 19. He's the mediator of a better covenant, which, is, which was established upon better promises according to Hebrews chapter 8 and verse number 6. So it is a book of evaluation. Now, it is important that we evaluate who God is, that we know who he is, because sometimes we actually don't worship God. We find things uh, that we'd rather give our time to than give it to God. And when we do, we're evaluating or valuing those those things worthy of our time, worthy of our worship more than the worship of God. But he tells us in the book of Hebrews there is nothing or no one that is more worthy of our worship because Christ is better than all. Another word that is repeated often in the book of Hebrews is the word perfect. We find a lot of things that are good. We find a lot of things that are great. 
But in the book of Hebrews, it talks about God being perfect. Now, I want you to understand that all of this is built on the idea that God wants me to know him as much as he knows me. By the way, the more I know God, the more my fears are dispelled because I know he's in control. The more I know God, the more I claim his promises because he's able no matter what the circumstances are. So he tells us in the book of Hebrews that he's not only better, the Bible tells us that he is perfect. It means a perfect standing before God. Our standing before God could not be accomplished by the Levitical priesthood. That's what he tells us in chapter 7. Our standing before God cannot be established because of the law or the keeping of the law. It tells us that our standing before God cannot be established by the blood of animal sacrifices as he tells us in chapter 10 and verse number 1. Ah, but it tells us that Jesus Christ gave himself one time one time for our sin and by this one offering that Christ has given he has perfected forever them that are sanctified I, I accepted him as my sacrifice no other sacrifice is needed no other plead is needed my relationship with the father is made perfect because of Christ I said it's not made better it's not good it's made perfect because of Christ I'm glad my relationship is not an imaginary one. I'm glad it's not one that I've made up or concocted in my own ideas as did Cain because Cain said, I, uh, I, I raise uh, 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 vegetables and fruit from the ground. I'm going to give him my best. Uh, God doesn't want my best. He wants what he desires. And my relationship with God is made perfect through the person of Christ. In our evaluation, we find uh, that there is a third word. By the way, let me, let me say this. It's so important because many folks today, they think, I believe I'm going to heaven because I, I, I'm doing pretty good. And they evaluate themselves and maybe look at a standard of the Ten Commandments or something like that and say, I'm doing pretty good on this and pretty good on that. You know, the law was never given to bring us to Christ. It was given to show our condition so that we would know that we needed a Savior. Uh, a plumb line, that's a string that is stretched. My grandfather uh, laid uh, bricks and blocks and uh, he would set the cornerstones and then he would stretch a plumb line and that plumb line from one end to the other and he would lay the blocks according to that plumb line. How many of you see the picture? You understand what I'm saying. Now if you put a plumb line beside a wall that's already crooked, it cannot make it straight. It can only reveal that it's crooked. Now you and I can compare ourselves to something more crooked and say we're more straight than that is uh, than that. Uh, but the law is our plumb line and it reveals to us that we have all come short of the glory of God. So we conclude there is no hope. There is no help. I am a sinner condemned to hell. Ah, but Jesus said that's why I came. I came to pay for your sin. I came to make your standing with God perfect by faith in me. It's not what I do. I'm not holding on to get to heaven. He's already got a hold of me when I trusted him as Savior. Then that brings us to the third word. And that third word is the word 
eternal. Now, there's some things that can help me a little bit. There's some things that can help me for a while. There's some things that are a blessing to me for a long time. But when Christ came, what Christ gives is eternal. No matter the quality of anything you purchase or receive, there is a time of either usefulness or a time that that thing will last or work. But everything that Christ gives is not good. Everything that Christ gives is not better. Everything that Christ gives is not best. Everything Christ gives is perfect. And you'll find that word perfect and you'll find that word eternal. I meant to say eternal instead of perfect, but both are true. Eternal is a word that describes the message of Hebrews. Christ is the author of eternal salvation, Hebrews 5, 9. Through death he obtained eternal redemption, Hebrews 9, 12. Hebrews 1, 8 tells us of his throne that is forever. Though there have been those sit on, the, on a throne that you would think that that throne or kingdom would never end. And yet there was always someone uh, that could gather an army that was greater or more wise in their talent and ability. And they would take down those thrones. But when the throne of God is established, it is established for all eternity. Now, I wish we had as much interest in knowing God as we're interested in God knowing us. Now, now think about this. When we pray, we tell him a lot of personal and detailed things. I'm glad he always cares. But sometimes we come to the place in the Bible and the preacher says this about God, and we think, so what? What does that matter? Well, how's that going to help me? But the truth is, I am more helped the more I desire to know him as he knows me. So, first of all, the book of Hebrews is a book of evaluation. Those three important words reveal what Jesus Christ and the Christian gives, and the Christian life gives us. They are better, they are perfect, they are eternal. Now, the recipients of this book, of this writing, they were going through a difficult time. There was a great challenge. Some were making fun of them. They said, you mean not, you're not going to offer a sacrifice anymore? And they said, no, Christ is our sacrifice. Oh, no, that's just a, that's just a new thing. You, you're wrong. You've still got to offer a lamb sacrifice. You still, have to, uh, you still have to come on Saturday to the Sabbath, and you have to obey, obey all the laws and the rules and the regulations of the Sabbath. And there was more than 600 of those rules. And those rules that let them know, hey, they come short of the glory of God. And they said, you know, I, I, I'm not going back. I'm going to go on Sunday because I serve a risen Savior. Uh, he's in the world today. He is my sacrifice. He made things better. He made things perfect. And he made things eternal. Let me give you the second word that the book of Hebrews uh, uh, outlines, the book of Hebrews, and it is a book of exhortation. Now, I love the word exhortation. The word exhortation is synonymous with the word encouragement. It is also translated 
comfort and consolation in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 5 through 7. Uh, the word uh, exhortation is related uh, to the Greek word that's translated comforter in John chapter 14 and verse number 16 referring uh, to the Holy Spirit. The letter to the Hebrews was not written to frighten people. It was written to encourage us. In fact, there are five statements of exhortation uh, in the chapter. Uh, notice, if you will, in chapter 2 and verse number 1. I'll not read all of these, but I want to tell you what all five of these are. Uh, first of all, in chapter 2, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by the angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. And so there is not just a warning. And now sometimes warnings are good. Warnings are not meant to threaten us. They're meant to keep us from danger. Uh, warnings. I mean, we're glad when there's a, a warning sign uh, that's flashing beside the road and, and it says uh, uh, something like uh, uh, black ice ahead. And there are signs that they put up. I was uh, coming out of uh, Arkansas uh, going uh, to the airport after I'd preached there in Arkansas Tuesday and Wednesday about 4.30 on Thursday morning, and it had been raining, and then the temperature dropped, and there was, there was a fog, and there was a, freeze, a, a, a freezing fog warning. And uh, the preacher was just driving along. I phone a little faster than uh, I would drive in possible freezing fog. And I said to him, I said, what was that flashing light over there? I didn't get to read all that. What was that? He said, oh, it's a freeze fog warning. I said, what does that mean? He said, it, may, it means that the, the fog falls and it could actually freeze on the road. I said, what does that mean? He said, road could be slick. I said, what does that mean? He said, well, it probably means I should slow down. I said, that's what I thought it meant. <laughs> I thought... If he didn't slow down, I was going to tell him, you do, you do the praying and let me do the driving because this praying part's wearing me out over here. We look at the Bible sometimes and it's a warning. And our rebellious spirit within it wants to rebel against us, but God's saying, I'm not trying to keep you from having fun. I'm keeping you, trying to keep you from wrecking your life. I'm trying to keep you out of trouble. And so the five warnings of, 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 of exhortation are given. Be careful not to drift from the Word of God, chapter 2. Because if you drift from the Word of God and you get to chapter 3 and you'll doubt the Word, you get a hard heart. And if you begin to doubt the Word in chapter 5, there'll be a dullness toward the Word. That's why he said, He that hath ears, let him hear. And now he's not saying, now all of those that, of you that have ears, I want you to hear. What he's saying, if you have ears, you're born again, you can understand. I want you to pay attention to what I'm saying. But if we drift from the word and we neglect it, we'll doubt the word. If we doubt the word, there'll be a dullness toward the word. Then we'll come to the place of chapter 10 that we despise the word. 
I know folks like that. They just don't, they don't want to hear the preaching. I've heard that before. I don't want to hear that anymore. That all began by a neglect of the Word of God. When you neglect reading the Word of God, when you neglect hearing the Word of God, you begin to doubt the Word of God. You start hearing other things that challenge the Word of God. And you start beginning to believe in the philosophies of men that sometimes make more sense than the Word of God that is believed by faith. But I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter what makes sense. What matters is what God said. So there's a drifting, there's a doubting, there's a dullness, and then there's a despising of the word. And then you come to chapter 12, there's just a defying of the word. I'm going to do the opposite of what God says. God said, I wish you knew me like I know you. I think about you. You ever think about me? I show my love to you. Have you ever tried to count the ways of God showing his love to you? From the blessings of nature as the sun rises in the morning to the fact you just wake up in the morning. You read the obituary column and your name is not there. That's a blessing. And then the fact that Jesus talks to the Father on my behalf. And he tells the Father what I need. That's a pretty good God, isn't it? I wish you knew me like I knew I know you. And the book of Hebrews is telling them of all the things that you've had and in all the ways that God has given to reveal himself to you. In these last day, he, days, he has revealed himself to you through his son, Jesus Christ. So we look at the book and we find it's a book of evaluation. We find it's a book of exhortation, encouragement. Then it's a book of examination, and I like this. As you read the book of Hebrews, you'll find yourself asking, what am I really trusting? We could stay here for a while tonight. I'm looking at time, and I want you to just think with me, if you will, what am I trusting? Am I trusting the word of God really? My circumstances are bad. It looks to me like it'd be easier to trust this than it would the word of God. What am I really trusting? Am I trusting the word of God or am I trusting the things of the world that are shaky and even ready to fall? It would be but just a few years after the book of Hebrews then this, this book was delivered. The city of Jerusalem and the temple itself would be totally destroyed. The Jewish nation would be scattered. And God would shake up the order of things. And he said so in chapter 12 verses 25 through 29. He wanted his people to have their feet on a solid foundation. He said I don't want you to plant your feet or your faith in the temple. I don't want you to plant it in the city. I want your feet to be established on me. Chapter 13, verse number 9, God wants our hearts to be established with grace. That word established is used in one form or another eight times in the book of Hebrews. And it's a book to cause us to examine do we really care about God? And is my faith in Him or is, in my, is my faith in the blessings of the nation I live in? 
Are my prayers for him personally or are my prayers for him to bless the things I like and bless the things I want? It means to be solidly grounded, to stand firm on your feet. Think tonight if you and I lived in a third world country where Christmas would not be celebrated any more than just a celebration of thought. There would be no big meal, no ability to travel and be with family. In fact, it may be required that we would work because there are some nations who chose years ago to be atheistic, not just in their position, but in their teaching to their children. In the beginning of days and communism in many countries, school children were told by their teachers Pray to God and ask him for ice cream. They would just look at them and they ordered them. They said, we want you to pray to God and ask him for ice cream. They forced them to pray. Nothing happened, of course. And then they forced the children to pray to the government. And those teachers and soldiers put ice cream on their desk and said, see, God is an imagination, but government is real. I fear that in theory we're closer to that than we are to just faith in God. How much would you celebrate Christ if there was no family, if there was no feast, if there were no festivities and our life was lived just to get enough food to eat another day and another week? And all we had was the blessings of God, and I'll come to this uh, a little bit later when I come to the word expectation. But first it's a book of examination. God wanted them to have their faith not in the rituals of the Old Testament economy. They felt secure when they went through the motions of the sacrifice. Those are all gone now. They felt secure when they went in the priest did all of the work and they took part in that ceremony and the many ceremonies that took place in the temple. They felt secure. But now it was simply a Christianity of faith in God. What do you and I really believe in? I read the story of a conductor who got on the train and as he stood in the doorway collecting tickets, the first person got on and he took the ticket and he said, uh, you're getting on the wrong train, sir. He stood there confused, said, excuse me. He had the man step out of the way. He had the next person come up, ticket please. He took the ticket and he said, uh, you too are getting on the wrong train. The third person had the same ticket and they said, you, he said, you folks are trying to get on the wrong train. And he said, one of the customers said, but the brakeman said, this is the train to where we're going. The conductor looked at his orders. He's the one that had got on the wrong train. And there are some folks tonight, they're leading people in a path of a faith in things rather than a faith in a person. They're those who preach what we refer to as a prosperity gospel. Do these things and God will make you wealthy. Well, it's not true of every person in the Bible. Some were wealthy, but some went through the fire and some went through the flood. 
Some died by way of martyrdom. Their faith had found a resting place not in sacrifice or rituals or things, but their faith had found a resting place in the person of Christ. It's a book of examination. I must move quickly. It's a book of expectation. The focus of the book of Hebrews is on the future. And the writer tells us that he's speaking about chapter 2, verse number 5, a world to come. Few Christians, few Christians serve God with the thought of the world to come. In fact, if God doesn't bless us pretty quick for our obedience and service, we get frustrated at God. But the focus of this, this book is not God paying in green cash on Friday, but the promise of saying, you trust Christ as Savior, you may live a difficult and a challenging life and even the life of a martyr, but better things are to come. And we don't serve Christ for the blessings of the day, though there are many. Our motivation for service must be the world to come. And that's why the songwriter penned the world words, This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Where's your treasure laid up? How long does it take for us to get frustrated at God? God said, I wish you knew me like I know you. I wish you thought of me like I think of you. I wish you loved me like I love you. It is a book of expectation. Go to chapter 11, if you will. Chapter 11. Go to verse 33. Go to verse 33. This is the great book of faith or hall of faith. Verse 33. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight to the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. History tells us that Isaiah died by being placed in a hollow log and that log being sawn in two with he inside. That's how they died. Lord, you mean you're not going to reward my faithfulness? Oh, yes, I am. One day those feet are going to be made immortal feet. And they're never going to walk on the stones and sands of this earth, but they're going to walk on the streets of gold and glory. And he goes on to tell us our life should be a life of expectation. Martyred missionary Jim Elliott said it best when he said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's a book of exaltation. Hebrews exalts the person and the work of our Lord Jesus. The first three verses sets, his, sets this high and holy theme which is maintained. Chapter 1, these first few verses here. Verse number 3, who being the brightness of, the glory, of his glory and express image of his person 
and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. It is a book of exaltation, exalting Christ. Could it be that we serve Christ for the recognition of others and when we don't get that, we're frustrated and we go find us a church that will recognize our faithful service? The book of Hebrews is not about exalting us. It's about us exalting Christ. The purpose is to prove that Christ is superior to all things. The brightness of his glory refers to the Shekinah glory of God that dwelt in the tabernacle in the temple. Christ is to the Father what the rays of the sun are to the sun. And he is the radiance of God's glory. As it is impossible to separate the rays from the sun, it is impossible to separate the glory of Christ from the nature of God. I ask us tonight... Is God real to us? Or have we created our own religion, our own rules or regulations? We've established our own religion. God said there's something far more, far better than religion. It's a personal relationship with me. And I'm not talking about just relationship, I'm talking about fellowship. And God's saying... I wish you knew me as much as I know you. Stand with me, if you will. During these next two weeks, it would be a blessing if you would read through the book of Hebrews thinking of these five words that outline and define the purpose of what the book is about. Heavenly Father, we rejoice that you came.